So tonight we are continuing to talk about the doctrine of salvation, which we started last week. We talked about regeneration, how God makes us new. Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. Um, And the Bible doesn't always use the same language, but that topic comes up over and over and over. Sometimes it's called the new birth. Sometimes it's called regeneration. Sometimes the Bible's talking about uh, the fact that we were dead, but we've been made alive. All of that's the same uh, kind of thing. And um, we saw that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is the one who uh, gives new life, who causes us to be born again. It's not something that we can control, but it is something that happens in response to um, uh, or in, in connection with um, hearing the gospel, right? So Peter said in, in 1 Peter 1 that we are, uh, we've been born again through the living and abiding word of God, which is the gospel. Um, so we talked about that last week. <clears throat> Tonight we're going to talk about conversion, right? And conversion is um, our response to the gospel. So regeneration is not something that we do. It's something that God does to us and for us, right? He causes us to be born again, Peter says, or has caused us to be born again. Um, But conversion um, is uh, the sinner's response to the gospel, right? So when when somebody's converted, what has happened is they've heard the gospel, and then the response... Uh, that we are required to have and that we always do have uh, when somebody is converted is um, we repent and we believe, right? So repentance and faith are the two parts of conversion, the two things, uh, the two ways that God requires us to respond uh, to the good news. And they're really two sides of the same coin. I mean, you cannot have one without the other, uh, despite what some how some have tried to, to divide the two. So uh, the first passage uh, that I want to draw your attention to is in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, uh, verses 14 and 15. And uh, we'll be turning to a lot of passages of Scripture tonight. It's one of those nights we're going to look at a lot of different verses. And so uh, you're welcome to try to turn to as many of them as you like, um, but don't feel like you have to chase them all down um, but the first one uh, is Mark 1, 14 to 15. It says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Right, so Jesus is saying, you know, the salvation, the saving reign of God, as somebody has put it, the kingdom of God, everything that God has promised in the Old Testament that you've been waiting for, as far as deliverance, restoration, all of that. Now is the time for that to happen. And so here's how you need to respond to what God is doing. You need to repent, which is a turning from sin to God. And you need to believe in the gospel. Believe the good news. Believe that God is doing um, these good things. So there you see repentance and faith together as the response that Jesus says is required of everyone who hears the good news. And Paul uh, taught the same thing, that it was uh, that we were required to repent and believe. In the, God, uh, the book of Acts, uh, chapter 20, Paul is 
uh, speaking to the elders of the church at Ephesus. It's the last time he's going to see them. And he's sort of reminding them about the way he ministered to them and preparing them for what things are going to be like after he's gone and is no longer going to come back and visit that church anymore. Um, And one of the things he says to them is this. is chapter 20. Um, in, uh, let's see, I'll start, uh, I'll start in verse 18, but the, the verse I, I want us to key in on is verse 21. It says, when they came to him, when the people from the elders of the church of Ephesus came to Paul, when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So he says, you know my ministry, you know how I suffered, you know how I labored, you know I taught you everything that I thought would be beneficial to you. I taught you in public, in large groups, I taught you house to house, in small groups, and here's what I told you. I told Jews and Greeks about repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So there again, you have those two things together, repentance and faith. And it's interesting, normally when we talk about repentance, we talk about uh, repenting of sin, which the Bible talks about. Um, uh, John the Baptist, his baptism was a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. You're turning so you can be forgiven, right? Um, But here he says, I testified to you of repentance toward God. Um, And so repentance has two sides to it, right? You're turning away from something and you're turning toward something. You're turning away from sin and you're turning toward God. That's what repentance looks like. And so he says, I testified to you about repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Because if you turn from sin to God, the other piece of that is you're going to do that because you're trusting in Jesus. Right? This is not turn from sin toward God to try to achieve something by doing more good works or cleaning up my life or anything like that. I've heard the gospel. I've heard the good news about Jesus' death and resurrection. So I turn from my sin toward God, trusting in Jesus that in him, my sins will be forgiven and I'll be welcomed into fellowship with God. So it's, again, this two-pronged response to the gospel that uh, we, this is what we call conversion. Somebody is converted, they're changed from a non-Christian to a Christian, right? Changed from one thing into another. They're converted when they hear the gospel, repent of their sin, turn toward God, and uh, trust in Christ. Now, <clears throat> there's something else that's interesting about this passage. Um, I have encountered at least one church, um, and I assume that there are others who uh, teach this as well, but I've encountered at least one uh, church where um, they were teaching that repentance is not necessary, it's not a necessary response to the gospel, only faith is, repentance is not a necessary response to the gospel, 
And if I remember correctly, they, they argued that repentance is, was only required of the Jews and is not required of Gentiles. Now, I don't remember how they tried to make that argument. I don't remember what verses they tried to use to make their case for that. But we have a verse right here that says plainly the opposite. That Paul was saying to Jews and Gentiles. He was teaching them both, proclaiming to them both about repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And earlier in the book of Acts, in chapter 17, we have this famous sermon of Paul's when he's on Mars Hill, the Areopagus. He's in Athens, the, uh, you know, the cultural center of uh, the Greek-speaking peoples, rather the Greek world, and Greek culture, where all the philosophers and whatever you know, were connected to Athens. And even when Paul was there, there were various groups of philosophers that were there to hear people present new ideas and give speeches and stuff like that, apparently. And Paul um, got up to, to preach the gospel, and he talked to them about uh, the fact that there's, only, that there's only one God, right, and why we know that there's only one God. And um, he even used some of their own poets to sort of reason with them about what the one true God should be like, must be like. Um, but then when he gets to the end of the sermon, at least uh, of how much of it Luke records for us, he says, uh, this is verse 30 um, and 31 of Acts 17. He, Paul says, The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. I just don't know how you get around a verse as clear as that. All people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. So there's a day coming when God is going to judge the world, right? through his son, Jesus. And because that day of judgment is coming, God is now saying to everybody, not just the Jews, but also the Gentiles right here in Athens, he's telling everybody that they need to repent and turn to him. All right, so um, we are called, we are commanded to uh, turn from our sin toward God. In fact, there's a, a really um, beautiful description of repentance in uh, 1 Thessalonians 1. It's not a, a letter we look uh, to as often as some of the others, but um, 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 9, Paul is talking about what happened when the, the believers in Thessalonica, when they were converted, when they heard the gospel and responded, what did that look like? First uh, Thessalonians 1.9, he says, They themselves, the people who have heard about your faith and how you responded to the gospel, they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and then on into verse 10, and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. So there again, the repentance that he talks about, he doesn't, he, he tells us um, both sides of repentance, right? You turned to God from idols. So previously you had been worshiping Zeus and Athena and Aphrodite and all the, you know, all the different pantheon of 
pagan gods, you've been worshiping all these idols, and when we came and preached the gospel to you, the way you responded was you turned away from those idols to the living God, the real God, and uh, you wanted to serve him, to worship him, and wait with anticipation for the day when his son, Jesus, is going to return, Jesus who died um, and was raised. So that's how they responded to the gospel as well. They repented of their idolatry and they turned to God in faith. Now, how does this happen? Uh, what takes place um, that enables somebody who has been enslaved to sin, like we saw Sunday morning in Romans 6, who is spiritually dead, like Paul says in Ephesians 2, um, verse 1. Uh, how does somebody in that condition, in bondage to sin, spiritually dead, how do they all of a sudden turn away from their sin and turn toward God? Well, even this, even repentance, is a uh, ultimately something that God uh, enables us to do by His grace, right? So, for example, in um, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 25, uh, Paul's talking about how pastors should handle themselves, right? How um, Timothy in particular, but pastors in general, should handle themselves. And particularly how he should handle himself when he has um, opponents or people who are contradicting him or quarreling with him or whatever. Um, people who are teaching false doctrine, those kinds of things. He says, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. This is verse 24. Not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil. evil. Verse 25, correcting his opponents with gentleness. And then he says this. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. And then he goes on. Say, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. So when you're engaging opponents who are not Christians, uh, who have been captured by Satan to do his will... You respond to them with gentleness, correct them, but don't be, you know, high-handed and whatever about it. Don't be pugnacious. Correct them with gentleness, because who knows? God may give them the gift of repentance, and then they will turn and believe. Right? So, turning from sin is not something, it's not our contribution to our salvation. It's not like the one work that we kind of sneak in, this is required of us to do. No, it is... Something that God gives us, something that God enables us to do. I'll give you a couple more examples uh, from the book of Acts. The uh, first one's in Acts chapter 5, verse 31. Um, this is, uh, I think this is Peter. Um, let's see. Yes, Peter is um, responding to the council that's. Um, you know, saying to him, verse 28, you know, we strictly charge you not to teach in this name, the name of Jesus. So what are you doing? Yeah. And uh, then he says in verse 29, we must obey God rather than men. And then he talks about Jesus' death uh, in verse 30. And then in verse 31, he says, God exalted him, God exalted Jesus at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. 
And so what God has done in Jesus, Peter saying, he has done in order that he might give to Israel the gift of repentance. Their hearts are hardened. They are unbelieving. They are in rebellion against God. But God has worked through his son so that he might give to Israel repentance. Uh, And then there's another one Um, in chapter 11. This is after uh, Peter has preached the gospel in Cornelius' house to a bunch of Gentiles. And um, he had to be thoroughly persuaded through both a vision and the prompting of the Holy Spirit to even go to Cornelius' house where all these Gentiles were gathered. Once he got there, he finally got the message, um, understood what God wanted him to do. He preached the gospel. The Holy Spirit fell on those who heard the gospel. He was preaching, and they were saved. And so Peter said, well, God's already saved, and why shouldn't we baptize him? And so they baptized him. Then word got around about what happened, and some people were not too happy about it and wanted to know, hey, Peter, what, what were you doing at Cornelius' house? What were you doing preaching the gospel to these Gentiles? So he goes over the story, tells them how it happened. This was not my idea. Here's how God made clear to me this is what I was supposed to do. Here's how it all unfolded. I mean, God gave them the Holy Spirit. What was I supposed to do? Um, and so when he gets to the end of the story... Verse 18 says, When they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. So in chapter 5, Peter says God, has been at, God was at work in Jesus in order to give Israel repentance. And here in chapter 11, a bunch of Israelites say God has also given Repentance to the Gentiles so that they could experience life. They could receive the life that God has provided uh, through repenting, through turning from their sin. So it's a real response, right, that we have to make, right? We, we have to turn. But when we look at the scripture, we realize that even behind our turning is the hand of God. There's nothing, and we know this, right? I mean, when we stop to think about it, we know this. We know that at the bottom, there is nothing about our salvation that we can take credit for. We all know that, right? Salvation belongs to the Lord, right? So the glory goes to the Lord. And so even our response of repentance and faith, even that is something that we are only able to do because of the gracious gift of God as he is at work in us to enable us to do that, right? So, um, so that's uh, repentance. Now, um, let's look. Um, well, I'll tell you what, let's, let's stop there because uh, that's only half of the lesson and I don't want to uh, go too long and, us, and our brains get foggy before we get to the end. So let's just stop there and we'll, we'll come back and talk about faith um, the next